Hello and welcome back to The Hills Are Alive, a movie musical podcast. This is Kelsey speaking and with me as always is... Hi, I'm Alex. Yep. Um, Happy New Year. This is our first show of the new year. Happy 2021. Everything's going so well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels more to me like a bonus week of 2020. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's not going great. But (laughs) we are here today to talk about one of our all-time favorite movies and um some of you may have already guessed what it is alex did just do a little reference (laughs) everything's going so well um if you haven't guessed it yet it's moulin rouge we're doing moulin rouge today moulin rouge it is definitely one of my favorites it um you know came at a very um formative time in my life you know as a i think i was a either a freshman or a sophomore in high school, and this came out. A young adult. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I was a theater kid, so we all, all the theater kids went and saw it in the theater. We cried. Yeah, I saw it when I was 13 or 14. I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I wasn't even aware of it until my sister, she went to see it in the theater. She's a little bit older than me, and um, she said uh, when she got back that, you know, it was good. It was kind of weird. A lot of people walked out. Walked <laughs> which, out? Yeah, they walked out. And I think that has to do with, I suppose, just Baz Luhrmann is such a stylistic right. uh, director. He does have a lot of Baz Luhrmann-isms. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's frantic. There's a yeah. frantic energy to the whole movie. And it's just like sensor, sensorial, sensorial. A lot of sensory overload. overload. Yeah, Yeah, totally, totally. (laughs) And we've both seen it so many times. I think it's kind of hard to remember back to what it was like watching it for the first time. Sure. Because I I don't want to speak for you, but I I had certainly never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't see Romeo and Juliet until after I'd watched Moulin Rouge. And even that is way less stylistically It's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty up there. How long has it been since you watched it? It's been a while, but I mean like the cityscapes and like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, because isn't it, I think it's Venice Beach where it's set. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So speaking of Romeo and Juliet. Or is it like a fake place called Verona Beach or something? Oh, it might be. That like is basically Venice. Yeah, it might be. Um, Speaking of Romeo and Juliet... Moulin Rouge was the third film in the quote-unquote ballroom, uh, or no, the Red Red Curtain trilogy right. from Baz Luhrmann. So first it was Strictly Ballroom. Strictly Ballroom. Then Romeo, Romeo plus, plus Juliet, Juliet, then Moulin Rouge, yeah. Did he, did he direct, I just saw something in passing when I was looking over, like, researching the movie and stuff. Did he direct Midsummer Night's Dream? I, you know what, I noticed that too, and I had the same thought, because I remember that movie. Wasn't Michelle Pfeiffer in it? Yeah, it was like Michelle Pfeiffer and Rupert Everett and... Yeah, um, Rupert Everett, he was great. Stanley Tucci. (laughs) Ah, Stanley Tucci's great. He is underrated. Yeah. As an actor, I would say. And like, I don't know, kind of sexy. Yeah, I I get it. It's low key. Yeah, there's there's a vibe. Yeah. I like his round glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, you know he's married to Emily Blunt's sister. Oh. Whom he met 
when he and um, Emily Blunt worked on... Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Wow. So he and John Krasinski are in-laws. Yeah, they're brothers-in-law. That's crazy. Isn't that cute? That's weird. Yeah, I have a feeling I know which couple is cooler. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, aren't there... I mean, aren't aren't John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, like, low-key, like, kind of conservative or something i don't know i've heard that and i don't know that anybody has a valid reason to suppose that other than like maybe they haven't spoken out against right like, yeah there, there was like some sort of enough? i'm not sure i think there was some sort of like anti-abortion subtext oh, it's in because a of quiet, the quiet place, place. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah, I don't want to give away the plot of the movie, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I can see where that's coming from. Yeah, I can. Um, I'm trying to find out. Did he? No, Baz Luhrmann did not direct the '99. What was he talking? There was this quote that he that he when he was talking. Yeah, about... Yeah, he said he was working on it. Yeah. Maybe he was supposed to direct it yeah. and it never followed through. That or maybe he a was lot. doing like art direction for it or something. I don't know. Yeah, but that's one of the things when you're talking about like the frantic kind of vibe of Moulin Rouge. He actually said that that was like part of the plan. Oh yeah, I read that too. It because to to sort of capital capitalize or bring or bring like the artistic movement that they were trying to depict into the modern era. Yeah, they wanted wanted it to to have like an MTV vibe. Sort or or I read that he wanted to sort of like shock you into experiencing things the way that people back then maybe did when they first walked into the Moulin Rouge yeah, yeah, and yeah. experienced this. I mean, it was, you know, it was stuff they had never seen before. Yeah, but he was um, talking about how he wanted it to kind of be shot like a music video. It certainly was. With, like, lots of frantic cuts and that kind Although, of you know what? I So I read that, and I read a couple of reviews where they, they critiqued the film that way, saying it was too much like a music video. Mm-hmm. But... That I, f- I found that really funny because there's one movie that I have always said it was a two-hour music video. I hated it. And that was Marie Antoinette. I love Marie Antoinette. You did? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that review really holds true for that movie. Um, I never once thought that watching Moulin Rouge. But well, I guess I get the... Similarity. I just felt like in Marie Antoinette, um, not that this is a show about Marie Antoinette, but I, I just felt like they had a lot of scenes in that movie where it was only music and just like pretty mm-hmm. girls and big dresses like dancing around and there was no dialogue and it's just, right. I mean, they're both very be... stylistic, artistic films. Sure. I mean, you have to kind of be like in the right mood to watch Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. You just be like, I want to watch, you know. A series of vignettes with cool music and beautiful, beautiful scenery. You right. Know. The the wedding scene with that Cure song, it's so good. <sighs> yeah, I don't even remember it that well. I should rewatch it before yeah. I talk a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, yeah. Actually, hey, before we get there, let me just ask you. Mm-hmm. How are you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> It's a loaded question. How was your um, holiday? Did you have a good holiday? Yeah, I had a good holiday. Um, went to uh, my husband's mom's house, which is just like an hour south of here. 
nice. Felt safe about it. We had they they've already had that household has already had COVID. Yeah. So the odds of transmission are extremely low. Right. They're like right in the in the antibody zone. It was like a couple of months ago. Oh man. Um I hope you don't get canceled after you just said Oh god. That. And we had <laughs> and we had t- gotten tested before we went down there. Of but, course. Um we all have to fine. do what's right and safe for us. But ourselves. I was which means that I wasn't in in Nashville proper though when the bombing happened. I oh know that's right. Yeah. A lot of people felt it. All over the city, probably I would have felt it at my house if I had been there. Yeah, but. pretty scary stuff. How are you? How was your holiday? <laughs> I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, my holiday was good, but it, it didn't feel a lot like a holiday. It yeah. just sort of felt like the status quo. Yeah, this was like... Well, this is the first Christmas that I haven't spent with my family. Oh, that's yeah. You usually ever. go up north. Yeah, ever. Yeah. So that was weird, but it was good to be, you know, have his family so close. So it felt a little bit more like yeah, a little bit more like Christmas. Yeah, on Christmas Eve, I went to Cheekwood with some of my best friends, and Aww. yeah, it was really really nice. We yeah. got to see the lights. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't go inside the mansion. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. And I'm not sure what they even had going on. Normally they have um, Dickensian carolers singing inside of the mansion. Yeah, it's really nice. But is it still is it still a lot of Chihuly? The Chihuly is still up. Okay. But I'm not. But they have more like Christmas stuff around the holidays. Yeah, I think they took the Christmas down. I think maybe yesterday was the last day to see the lights but Mm -hmm. as far as i know chihuly is still there and will be there for a few more months yeah usually that's a long installation because they're such you know they're very big pieces yeah um yeah second time i've seen chihuly there and it's it's beautiful last year i think it was last year i went to no it was the year before last (laughs) oh god i think i know yeah 2020 has made things very strange as far as like I know as far as like bookmarking time yeah I guess it was two years ago I went to Florida and we went to Disney it was around my sister's birthday so like January 3rd and Disney was still decorated for Christmas oh yeah beautiful Mm -hmm. and you don't have to deal with the you know crowds Christmas crowds right right yeah so that was great all right, so let's go back to Moulin Rouge all right so as far as just initial rating what would you what would you say okay it is my favorite i mean this is my favorite musical movie um it's also one of my top 10 all-time greatest movies yeah you know musical aside Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give it still though i want to say just an a okay i have there's two things that i don't two or three things that i don't love about it Mm -hmm. so i give it an a how about you I would. I want to say a minus. A. Yeah. I'm just thinking about um, the what is it called when you're doing grades? The the curve. The curve. I know, and I I messed up the curve when I gave Sound of Music and a plus a++. plus. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we have you know we have Sound of Music, which we both gave a plus pluses. Yeah. White Christmas, you gave a C. A C. And I gave a B. a B minus. B minus almost B. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then this, I would say A minus ish. Is an A minus worse than an A? Yes. Okay. Yeah. An a yeah, is, that makes an sense. A it's been like a long time <laughs> since I 
an, an, <laughs> wrote a, an essay. An A, I think, is between 94 and 97. You know what? We can have our own grade scale. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I would say A minus. There's just... But, like, in an AP class, so <laughs> it counts it's a more. really huge success. <laughs> you get five points on your GPA instead of four. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I would, I would say, I don't know, there are just some things, and it's the things that, some, it's part of the reason that I love it, but also kind of takes away from just, like, the Baz Luhrmannism of it all, you know? See, all of those things are huge um i like that yeah that that's something that doesn't go against the score for me Mm -hmm. um what goes against the score for me and we'll we'll get into this as we work ourselves through the film but the trope of coughing into a handkerchief (laughs) and then there's blood and you know it's consumption and you know they're gonna die right um I mean, you. They do tell you at the. He does tell you at the. I very know. Beginning. Okay, but listen. When I first watched it, yeah, I was. I think I was thirteen or fourteen, and I watched it on VHS, and I didn't. I wasn't yet in the habit of watching everything with subtitles right. the way I do today. It yeah. doesn't matter what language it's in. Like I always turn on the closed captioning. Yeah, I think you get more from the experience that way. Sure. Anyway, back then I I either didn't know how to do it or you couldn't do it on a VCR. Mm-hmm. And so, also because it was VHS, the audio quality wasn't good. Yeah. And I just completely missed the part. Where he says that Satine is dead. Right. Well, he whispers it. Yeah. He goes... The um, woman I loved is dead. Yeah. It's very <laughs> soft. And, um, yeah, I I mean, yeah, it becomes obvious right. throughout the film that she's dying. Well, but when I was that young, like, I, I had so much hope. I, I was very naive. I thought, like... Something's going to happen. They're going to save her somehow. They're, she's not going to die. They're going to be in love forever. Right. And, um, yeah, when that was not the case, despite the fact that he told us she's dead, I was just <laughs> sobbing. Yeah. Completely sobbing. I was so, oh, man. It was it was rough. Yeah, I mean, and I think any, heartbreaking. any movie that's, like, set in, like, kind of Victorian, uh-huh. kind of Victorian area, if somebody coughs... If it's between 1800 and like 1930, yeah. If you cough, you're dead. Right. Yeah. If you cough, and especially if there's a drop of blood. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got the consumption. That it happens a lot, also in The Crown. <laughs> <laughs> but that's mostly lung well, cancer because oh, they're all smoking. Oh, with um, Princess um. Uh, Princess Margaret mm-hmm. and and when the king dies at the beginning. When, oh yeah, I forgot about that. I did watch season one. When um, Elizabeth ascends. The other thing that I'm not crazy about in this movie is um, there's a couple characters they don't use very well. They didn't really develop them. They're very one-sided. Yeah. Their motivations are unclear. Um, they're just underutilized. Right. And it makes you wonder, like, did you really have to include them at all? Right. But we'll get there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so Moulin Rouge, it premiered at the 2001 Cannes Film Festival. It was the opening how, movie. How appropriate. Uh, yeah, it's it France, really is. Right? I don't know. Should we just yeah, dive in jump into our a recap? recap? Yeah. yeah. 
So it starts with this sort of, and I love when movies kind of like manipulate the the logo reveal. Oh at the yeah, beginning. isn't it? It's like Fox Searchlight, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And they like have the red curtain. Yeah, and which lo- was hard for them to get yeah. because studios don't like people messing up with their, you know, their image, their yeah. logo. Yeah, yeah. But he and did get that, permission. And I think that I think all the Harry Potter movies do it too. They're like, Warner Brothers, though. Right, but it like it it but it's they show the logo with like and it's like gray, and yeah, gray and foggy. And for some reason, I'm remembering the Simpsons movie all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I worked at Blockbuster. I have a lot of random <laughs> movie knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah. So they open up and um, they've tiny, got the red curtain, the tiny little is, conductor at the bottom. Yeah, because yeah. it is part of the red curtain trilogy. Right. And then um, the very first music that you hear in the score is The Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and The Sound of Music obviously pops up throughout the entire film. Which, you know, I love that. But yeah, we open in um, the year 1899. As yeah. Christian describes, the summer of love. Uh-huh. Never heard it referred to that way before, but it's been a while, so. And is it... Uh... Toulouse-Lautrec that's singing at the beginning? Yeah, Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, his full name being Henri, Henri Raymond, it. no, it's Henri Raymond Marie, or is it Henri Marie? I think it's Henri Raymond Marie Toulouse-Lautrec Monfa. Uh-huh. Uh, he's singing Nature Boy. There was a boy. By, um, I think originally by Nat King Cole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> by the way. By the way, I was watching um, Bob's Burgers last night. Mm. You like that show, right? Of course, yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. And one of my favorite side characters, her name is Nat Kinkle. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep thinking she's saying Nat, Nat Kinkle. Kinkle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, and I think she's played by Jillian Bell, which is, yeah, she's cool. Who's that? Um, you know, she did that movie about running a marathon, and she was on... Um, she was on Workaholics. Oh, okay. I don't know. Really? Yeah. I, you would recognize her if you saw her. I never her. watched Workaholics. You, she's she's one of those really funny actresses, comedic actresses that you've seen a lot of stuff, but you don't know who she is. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You'd recognize her. Anyway. So there was a boy. Um, a and, very strange, enchanted and we boy. we have this big, widescreen, I mean, this huge view of the city. Like that, panorama. That zooms into... Uh, Christian's apartment. Mm-hmm. We're in Montmartre. Yes. Mon- How do you say it? Montmartre? It would be Montmartre. Montmartre. Because it's <laughs> M-A-R-T-R-E, right? There's two R's. So it's like, it's like Montmartre. I'm so, so happy there's no way that my old French teacher isn't listening to this. <laughs> um, yeah, so we open there, and um, Christian, uh, like we said, he, he goes ahead and gives it away. His his true love has died. Right, he's writing his story. He's writing story. down their story, right. and Tell he says, story. I first came to Paris one year ago. Mm-hmm. And then we get a little bit of Rufus Wainwright. Mm-hmm. My first time ever hearing that beautiful, beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. Love Rufus Wainwright. And I think this was around the same time that I was super into his his album that had just come out, Poses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, think... Oh, go ahead. Which was kind of, like, revolutionary for me because he, like, talks about, like, boys and, like, f- like gay flirtation. 
You know, I hate to admit it, but I think that Rufus Wainwright was the last concert that I went to. And it was at the end of 2018. Oh, wow. I don't think I went to, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I went to shows. Like bar shows. Yeah, in 2019. But I can't really remember going to any, like, concerts where I had to buy tickets. Right, like a, like a big show. Yeah. yeah. The only, like, show, quote unquote, that I remember in 2019 was Your Wedding. Right. Yeah. That was a good one, though. Um, I, I saw, I went to Margot's show at the Ryman. When was that? Oh, yeah. I didn't. Sorry. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think, I don't anyway, know. It's the last big show I remember. We get a taste of uh, Rufus. Uh, the song is only briefly featured, but right. thankfully they do put the whole song on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, I mean, it, it is one of the best songs on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. That's, I have to say, another reason that I don't, I don't know, is it fair if you don't like the soundtrack to to consider that and you're waiting for the movie no because i i don't think i don't think necessarily because that's that's like a separate entity yeah that they didn't really it wasn't really faithfully taken from the actual soundtrack of the of the film for a movie that i love so much especially the music oh my god i hate that soundtrack they put the wrong they picked the wrong songs, in my opinion, to put on there. The I agree. Ro- and the ones that they did, they like picked the wrong version. And they don't use. I mean, they hardly use cast recordings. Right. Yeah. Nicole Kidman is on there a few times. Mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor is on there a couple times. Obviously, they sing "Come What May." I think the most faithful song to the movie that's on the soundtrack is probably uh, your song. Yeah, I agree. Because even "Come What May." Which was the only original song. They they do this weird synthy. It's like a pop thing. version. Yeah. yeah, on the soundtrack. And Which it's I not guess... terrible, but it's not what I want to hear. And I guess I kind of understand because the way that they do it in the movie, like the first verse or so. Is spoken. It's kind of, but it's also like spaced out during the montage of them like going around with the duke you know when he's like right. catching frogs or whatever you know what though that reminded me um just now thinking about that scene how the first line is kind of spoken when they're about to do that's when they're going to do your song yeah oh he's reading poetry sure yeah yeah and so the first couple lines are spoken and that's exactly what julie andrews did with um my favorite things. Oh yeah. She thought it was too silly to just go to into just it. go into song. So she thought, well, what if I just say the first verse yeah. and then go into it? I wonder if that occurred to them at all, or if it was. And just I think natural. on the soundtrack, it just starts with. It does. My yeah. gift is my song. Yeah. yeah, and it's still. Oh, gosh, he has such a beautiful voice. I know he needs to sing more. I agree. Okay, so yeah. Okay. So 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 now they're setting the scene. It's Christian one year is in ago. a fight with his dad because right. he wants to go to Paris. Right. And his father warns, "You're going to waste your life with a can-can dancer." Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> he called he thought it was the the center of sin. Mhm. Yeah, he there's one what is the line? Oh yeah. Always this ridiculous obsession with love. <laughs> like I think he's German for yeah. some reason. They don't yeah, we don't get a lot of backstory. Mm-hmm. But his dad is not on his side. Um but he he's committed to living the bohemian life. So he goes to Montmartre. Uh-huh. I don't want to say that Ma- word anymore. Montmartre. 
Montmartre. The center of the bohemian world. Mm -hmm. The children of the revolution. And um, very quickly, he gets an apartment and he sits down to start writing. And he wants to write about love, but he realizes he's never been in love. I've never been in love. And then all of a sudden, an unconscious Argentinian fell through my roof. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, And that's how he meets the bohemians. Uh huh. They, They immediately take him under their wing. He comes up. To see what they're doing, and it's very, seems very avant-garde. <laughs> right. We have Audrey, the writer. Uh-huh. Uh, we have Toulouse-Lautrec. Um, he's wearing, like, a shirt. As, like, a nun habit. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we have Satie, who's doing the music. Uh, the narcoleptic Argentinian. Who does he... I think he's acting. He never has a name, though. No, he doesn't. I, I, I really think in the credits he's just credited as, like, narcoleptic, narcoleptic Argentinian. Argentinian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I think that's all of them. Um, so they're trying to figure out the line, and mm-hmm. they come up with a few. I, I think I wrote one of them down. It was really funny. Oh, the hills animate with the euphonious symphonies of Descant. (laughs) (laughs) And they're arguing, how are we going to, this isn't working. They're arguing back and forth. And then then Christian is, he's trying to break in to say what he thinks. Mm -hmm. And everyone's talking until he finally sings. He belts it out. The hills are alive. Yeah, and it's so good. And then when he finishes, he just has the cutest look on his face. Like, mm-hmm. eh, you like it? Yeah, you and like everybody it? is, that's yeah, it. They're obsessed. And, of course, Audrey um, gets immediately offended. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Satie suggests, well, why don't you and Christian write it together? And he but just says, Audrey goodbye. W- Audrey works alone. Audrey works alone. And is this when, is this our first um, allusion to Christian's big penis. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the, the Argen- narcoleptic Argentinian, yeah, he pops up all of a sudden when Christian sings that line. Right. And he, he says, I like it. And, you know, he's obsessed with that line. And then I think he walks over to Christian and he winds up, like, putting his hand. Just, like, grabs his cross. Like, really, yeah, near. Yeah. It, it He either does it on purpose or accidentally. And, um... He what says something he says? about, I appreciate the boy's talent. Right. Which and then is, he says, nothing funny. Right. But talent becomes a, a euphemism, euphemism for, this movie for, yeah, throughout for the rest of the film. For Christian's yeah, g- they, genitals. They talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, um, they they decide that Christian is going to be the writer because Audrey is not open to co-writing. He pieces right. out. And um, like so many dilemma. artists, but as so many artists do, they decide to celebrate before they actually do any writing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. That's when, the, yeah, I think that's when we go into Children of the Revolution. Yeah. Um, my first exposure to T-Rex. Mm-hmm. T-Rex is now one of my just all-time favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Um, again... Oh, the soundtrack. I'm not crazy about the cover version that they use. They've got Bono singing it. Yeah, it's like you too, yeah. Honestly, I've never heard a cover of Children of the Revolution that I liked. Yeah. Um... Although this... It's not the worst. Yeah. It's just... But this one is kind of, um, spliced together with 
Sound of Music. Yeah, it is. Well, on the soundtrack, it's just like straight up Bono. Yeah. Um, but yes, in the movie, it's more of a montage. Yeah. Most of the songs are a montage, but um, there might be one that's dominant. Yeah, they're more of a medley. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this scene is Kylie Minogue. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love Kylie Minogue. She's, yeah. Also, shout out I'm to... I'm the Green Fairy. I think... I don't I don't know if it was on purpose, but I think that Baz Luhrmann, like, did sort of make an effort to cast um, Australian... Oh, I didn't even think of right, that. Right, yeah. Because yeah. she is. Yeah. Yeah. Did you I... ever see Australia? Yeah. I did not. I don't want to talk about That's it. It's not good. It's not good. I saw it in theaters. Yeah. It was not good. Well, a lot of a lot of us, you know, Moulin Rouge heads, yeah, were really excited about. We it. We were willing to to go in for any Baz Luhrmann. But I heard before, like, I mean, I, it, it wasn't terrible, but I had heard bad reviews, and so I just decided not to. see I it. I saw it in theaters, and I I don't remember anything about it. It was so boring. Yeah. Um, I say that with a grain of salt. I love Baz Luhrmann, but so anyway. So Kylie Minogue shows up as the Green Fairy. Oh, yeah. And something really interesting about that scene, um, Ozzy Osbourne was supposed to be in it. Weird. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy casting, which just makes sense for a movie like this. Yeah. Um, Ozzy Osbourne was going to be basically the Green Fairy's alter ego. Right. Because I guess they're trying to show how... You know, the the world that they're diving into is sort of considered, like, the underworld or right. the underbelly of society. And, right. Well, um, they're showing the, the, the light and the dark. Exactly. Yeah. And so, originally, they were going to have Ozzy Osbourne be the Green Fairy's alter ego. And he was also going to show up with a sitar, which mm-hmm. I guess, like, would help connect oh, sure. the themes that we see later on in the film. Yeah. I can't remember exactly why that didn't work out, but they did maintain his scream. So like right as they're transitioning into the Moulin Rouge, they like they zoom into the green fairy's face and, and her eyes red go eyes. red yeah. and then there's this like manic scream that comes out of her. Yeah. That's Ozzy Osbourne. Right. And once you know that, it's impossible to not hear it. Right. You're like, "Oh yeah, of course that's Ozzy Osbourne." So actually I guess bef- right before this happens, they dis- they like hatch their plot basically to get to get close to Satine in order to get the funding to put together their musical. Yeah, so they have to get Zidler to Ambassador to let them do the show at the Moulin Rouge. Right. And so the plan is to get Christian inside the Moulin Rouge, get him to have a meeting with Satine. Right. Satine can convince Zidler. Right. And so they go in and they wind up at this booth that happens to be a media immediately adjacent to, to the, the duke. duke the duke the duke who at this point they don't know is they don't know him uh, or they don't know that he is maybe investing or i don't know yeah i don't think the audience even knows but right. i did notice that you see him in all of the shots right. so they what they don't know is that at the same time Satine and Zidler are also hatching a plot to try to get uh, the, duke the duke to, to invest. invest in Satine right. more or less right she just wants to become a real actress a real actress like the great Sarah uh-huh Sarah. and i got to say that's um 
that line comes a, a couple minutes after this scene, but it's one of the lines where I'm like, oh, I can hear Nicole's uh-huh. Australian accent. Also, can I tell you a little bit about Sarah? Because she is... Sarah, what Interesting. was her last name? Sarah Bernhardt. That's what I thought, yeah. It's Not to be confused me. with Sandra Bernhardt. I know, Bernhardt. I always <laughs> want to call her Sandra Bernhardt. Very always. different people. Very different people. <laughs> but no, Sarah was a very interesting person. Let me pull up my notes. I wrote down a few about her. So she was, her. she was like the, pretty much the, the most famous stage actress of the time, right? Yeah, I would say so. She she was a famous stage actress, and I think what she did back in her day was very impressive. Like, for example, she took on a lot of male roles uh-huh. and received a lot of uh, recognition for it. She played Hamlet, and audiences loved her. Wow. She also played Joan of Arc at the age of 46. Oh. Audiences loved her. Uh-huh. She was known for being a little bit promiscuous. She had an affair with Ooh. Victor Hugo oh. when she was 27, and he was 70. Oh. Yeah, but hey, um, it could have been good. He, yeah. he, was a, he, he wrote a play that she was in. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it was great. Um, she also chose to have her own leg amputated. It wasn't exactly medically necessary, but she hurt herself... Um, she basically had to, like, jump from a balcony as part of a play. Mm-hmm. And she injured her leg, and the leg was fine. She was just probably going to, like, always have a limp or something? She Yeah, it just always kind of hurt her. Yeah. And so she wrote to a lover of hers, who was a doctor, and said, if you don't cut my leg off right above the knee, I'm going to shoot myself, so you have to. Oh, and so he set up an appointment with a younger surgeon. He wouldn't do it himself. Yeah. But he did set up an appointment with another surgeon, and they took her They took her leg off. She tried um, prosthetics, wooden prosthetics, just like a wooden leg, basically, yeah. for a little while, and she didn't like it. So what she settled on was she bought herself a sedan lounge and had, had people carry her. Oh, wow. So I'm guessing this was, like, after her stage career. Um, I think it was. I think she was a lot. I think she was herself, like, 70 when this happened. Right. I'm not sure when the injury happened. Right. But, yeah, there's just a lot of wild, wild stories out there about her. And there's a really good quote from Mark Twain. Here we go. Okay, so Mark Twain identified five kinds of actresses. Yeah. Bad actresses, fair actresses, good actresses, great actresses, and then there's Sarah Bernhardt. Mm-hmm. I, I wish, mean, that's pretty big. That's that's high praise. I wish there could have been video of that, of, you know, of, like... Yeah, I wish we could see, you like know, you what have, she was like. All, all, basically, all you have is, you know, secondhand We have a few pictures, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know what? That's funny because I was doing some research on Toulouse Lautrec, and um, we don't we we don't have video or you know a lot of one hundred percent direct accounts, and it's funny how much the stories or the history that you read. It's funny how much it changes, right? Yeah, uh, article to article. But anyway, um, okay, she wants to be like the great Sarah. Mm-hmm. Got got sidetracked. So we've got but we've got these two plots that are sort of. Destined to intertwine. Um, and so, 
Christian wants to have this meeting with Satine. She wants to have this meeting with the Duke. And so during when she, after she drops from the ceiling, this is after the old men are singing the Nirvana song. Oh, yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. yeah. That's a good... I really like Smells Like Teen Spirit, by yeah, the way, yeah. as, as it's used in the movie. Yeah. It's not a song that's licensed often. Right. But they got permission from, from Courtney, Courtney Love. Love. Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't you say that she was going to be Yeah, she auditioned. Or something? Yeah. I read that she auditioned for Satine. And I, I know, I find it hard to believe. I think she may have auditioned, like, for a role. But this is probably during that time when she was kind of having a glow up and was in, like, successful movies. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the glow up. And she was in, like, some successful movies. Was she? Yeah, she was in, um, God, it's like a heist movie. I don't remember what it's called. Damn it. I don't remember her acting, but I do remember when and she one day in... she walked out and she just looked really put together. Yeah, because she was having this like kind of resurgence as an actress. What was the movie called? Damn it. It was like a heist movie. And then she was also in um, 200 Cigarettes. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, we have these two sort of... Once Satine drops from the ceiling and she's doing her song... Um, She's t- talking to Zidler during a costume change. Right. Um, he's like, you have to talk to the Duke. And she's like, which one is the Duke? And he and Zidler looks. He points. Yeah. And Zidler looks and he's like, oh, it's the one. That Toulouse is shaking a hanky at. Right. Because uh, they spill a drink or something. And right. Toulouse, because they're seated next to each other, Toulouse right. leans over and says, can I borrow a hanky? And he just takes it. Yeah. And um by the time she looks he's cleaning something off of Christian's right. you know so vest or something. That, so now she thinks that Christian is the duke. Right. So this sets up the whole movie basically. Right. This this, this is what As sets you would the, say the conceit is. Right. This yes, this <laughs> this sets up the conceit of the movie. <laughs> Um, and so they have plans. Ziedler has set up a date between Satine and the Duke. Uh-huh. Um, and, oh, but Satine dances with Christian, again, thinking he's the Duke, and she makes sure that he's going to show up in the elephant room right. after um, this very, the show. very, very sexy dance with him. Yeah. She rubs their fronts together. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You have to leave that in. (laughs) In case you edit it, Alex just said. (laughs) They rub their fronts together. Right. And then, um, yeah, so she she tells Christian, meet me up in this room. Right. And then um, before they get there, though, she does pass out. She's on the swing. Yeah, so she gets back on her her trapeze. Yeah. And she has her first, like, (gasps) fainting, coughing... Fit and falls into Chocolat's arms. Chocolat, the first save of the day. For the first of many times that he saves okay, the day. Okay, so he is one of the characters that is so underutilized. We don't get to learn anything about Chocolat. And Especially yet, considering he's how... He's the only black cast member, right. I think. And, and considering how he is so pivotal to the plot. Yeah, I mean, he is and he's not, like... They just use him to save the day. Right. Like, Chocolat shows up when it's convenient. Right. And that's lame. Yeah. 
Super lame. And, I mean, it's in, the, in the same way that, like, he's the only uh, black character... I mean, you he's have probably one of the few gay characters. I don't know that he's gay. You have to kind of assume. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they never say that explicitly, but he is a dancer. He's a dancer in the Moulin Rouge. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many male dancers in there. Um, but, you know, the, the similar thing happens with women in this movie, aside from Satine, is that they don't really have any character development for any of them. The only You have one... Marie... Yeah, we have Marie. And, and she has, like, one line. I think that's okay. Um, she's old. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, Marie, I think Marie's character is fine, but Nini. Right. Big issues with Nini. But let's talk about Nini later, because yeah. she does come we'll, up. We'll come she is more relevant in the movie, but there's still not a whole lot of motivation or development there. Right. So now we're bu- so now we get back up to um, the, in the elephant. They're in the elephant room. Yeah. Which I don't know. It, they don't really explain if this is where Satine lives, if this is just her like meeting spot as a courtesan, you know. I think so. it's kind of like the go to place if you're gonna, uh, like, A, if you're rich, it's like the and v- if you're gonna like take the, things a little further. It's like the VIP lounge at yeah, the Yeah, you're club. going to the back room. Right. Yeah, I think that's what the <laughs> elephant room is. And so then, but if that's the case, then it's funny that we never see where she lives. I'm sure it's not exquisite. Right. Not that Christian lived in great conditions either. Right. But, you know, it was but a place even, to live. But even when, even when everyone leaves, like, that's where she's, al- that's where she sings, One Day I'll Fly Away, like, she's just hanging out there alone. She obviously know? has permission to be there. Right. I, I mean, if I it. had permission to be there, I would just kind of live there. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Depending on how many other women go right. into that room yeah, with other men. You don't know, like, to what extent it's being used by other people for, for salacious purposes. Ew. Or for poetry Poetry. Readings. And here we are. So. A little bit of poetry. <laughs> so he shows up um, at the elephant... Um, and obviously they have a misunderstanding about what this is for. <laughs> he thinks that, that he's, he thinks that he's trying to get her to invest and she thinks that she's trying to get him to invest, but she, she is trying she, to do it with sex and he right. is trying to do it with poetry. Cause Zedler's more or less told her like, you have to seduce him in order to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, as you noted earlier, they decided uh, the right girl for him is smoldering temptress. Oh, right. So she really goes for it. Yes. Really go Like, at one point, she's literally, like, writhing around on the floor and oh, screaming, yes, like... Oh, yes, naughty words. <laughs> it's so... It's so much. It's so much. And that's when Christian finally belts out that first line of right. your song. Which seems to be something that he does with one line. Like, things get too frantic. He just sings. Yeah, and then everyone's like, (gasps) right, exactly. As am I. Right. As am I. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I mean, I just got goosebumps kind of thinking about it. He's so good. But that's the, this is another thing that's funny. When she decides on the smoldering temptress outfit, 
which is the red dress. Yeah. They're like, yes, the smoldering temptress outfit for meeting with the Duke. And then you get up there and she's not wearing it. She's in her, no. she's in her lingerie. I was confused about that, too, because they put so much effort into that red dress. Right. And the black lingerie looks just as good. Her waist is shocking in that lingerie. I mean, I know it's a Oh, yeah, no, corset, she, but... she broke a rib twice trying to get into those corsets. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is just a rumor, but I did read that she wanted to have an 18-inch waist because that's what um, the... Scarlett O'Hara had. Oh, yeah. And Gone with the Wind. Uh-huh. Again, I don't know that... I, I don't know if that's true. I only saw it written down one one place. Yeah. But... She did have a teeny tiny corset, and she broke the same rib twice, I want to say, trying to get into it. Ow. Yeah. And she has to do the whole dance number in that. She has to do spectacular, spectacular. It's for art. Yeah. The things the things we sacrifice for beauty. Yeah. Um, and so eventually... The things women sacrifice for beauty. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so eventually she... Um, rips his pants off or like rips his pants open and says big boy <laughs> and once again uh the bohemians they're spying from a distance yeah and, and i think it's toulouse latrug shouts out he's, he's got, got a, a huge, huge talent. talent yes <laughs> ridiculous so and so yeah so uh they, but they don't do anything right. uh they just they do your song and it's it's a really lovely rendition, and that's when she really falls for him. Up until she realizes so after, after the song after is ended, song, yeah, that she okay she he's got her in his arms and she's like I can't believe dip. I've fallen for a duke, right? And he says a duke. I'm not a duke. I'm a writer. A, a writer. writer. Yeah, and that's also when Not we get a really good glimpse of her super long eyebrows. I have right here her eyebrows. Yeah, they're very long. They like go back to her hairline. It's crazy. I think I was mostly pencil. Yeah. yeah. They look good, though. Yeah. They look really good. Uh, she freaks out, realizes he's not the Duke, and that's when Ziedler walks in uh-huh. and asks, are you ready to meet the Duke? And, and what so, do we do? Hijinks and Sue. Right. So he decides to hide, mm-hmm. um, and the Duke comes in, right? Yeah. And the Duke comes in, and and this is and Satine and the Duke and Zidler, they make a plan, basically for them for him to fund it. Right. They come up with a plan to fund it based upon this poem. Actually, that it's your song, but the poem that Christian just read. Right. Um, so she does the same thing to for the duke and he yeah. he feeds her the lines. Exactly. And uh yeah, they get their funding. Mm-hmm. The Bohemians are excited. So everyone leaves except for Satine and, and Christian and she again gets really overwhelmed and has Oh a, right, she passes and has out. another <gasps> attack. Consumption attack. Yeah. Um and faints and he's trying to wake her up. And then the duke comes back. Right. Realizing he's forgotten something or whatever. Foul play. <laughs> he opens the door and thinks, <laughs> thinks that Christian's assaulting her. Say it one more time. Foul play. I love it. 
And that's when the she Bohemians wakes, who have been spying. Right. She she wakes up and she's like, we're having an emergency rehearsal. As though he didn't just leave two minutes ago. Right. Um, but the Bohemians. They've been spying. They yeah. happen to be there. So they're right on cue. And they're like, yes, this is our rehearsal. Yeah. And that reminds me when when they do have that moment where they realize they're not who Christian isn't who she thought he was. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but <laughs> up there in the corner, Toulouse's head <laughs> is hanging down from the window because they're holding him upside down <laughs> by his right. leg so he can spy. <laughs> and so it's this beautiful moment between the two of them and then like, boop, there's Toulouse. Oh. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so, yeah, they convinced him we're doing a play. We wanted to get started right away. Uh-huh. And uh, so then they sort of come up with the plot on the spot, right? And that's what the song "Spectacular Spectacular" is. Spectacular, no words in the vernacular can describe this great event. And since this is all happening, this all all of this is happening to Christian. He just uses what's going on to base the musical on. Yeah, so it becomes very meta right. all of a sudden. Right. Basically, they decide that the play is going to be about a penniless sitar player. Right. A.K.A. the writer. The penniless writer. Um, and, and the Maharaja. Right. Who wants to marry the courtesan. Right. Uh, but she's in love with the penniless sitar player. And basically, yeah. what we have is a love triangle. Right. That's what they pitch. And then the Duke says... And in the end, should someone die? <laughs> Another really funny Duke line. <laughs> He's got plenty. He's, I mean, for a guy that is the worst, I mean, he's truly awful. And he does almost rape Satine, and yeah. it's unforgivable. But there are some very funny Some lines. of the best comic relief in this movie comes from I him. No, and I feel like such an asshole saying that out loud but it's true no, like it's... he does have really funny moments no it's true i mean he's a you know you can have comedic moments from bad characters that's fine absolutely well we do we do like it or not <laughs> right um and so they decide on this uh satine satine in order to make christian happy tells the duke that she doesn't want to sleep with him until is it opening night Yes, yeah, so there are, um, once all of the, I think that happens before they do Spectacular Spectacular, I can't remember, but basically, yeah, um, there is a scene somewhere in there where she's about to sleep with the Duke, that's what he wants to do, and she says, no, you're right, you're right, we should wait, it wasn't his idea at all, but, you know, that's what a suave girl does in that time, she makes it seem like it's his idea and says we're gonna wait, and Christian it, you know, he's watching the whole time, and he looks very relieved when right. she finally says that. Right. Um, I just have a funny thing to tell you that in my Apple Notes app, every okay. every time I type Satine, it corrected me to Saltine. <laughs> <laughs> so you just eventually stopped correcting it, so, so all have, of your notes are about Saltine. Saltine solo. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so she sings One Day I'll Fly Away, which is, um, I thought was an original, but it's not. What is it from? Um, I think Randy Crawford, who was a jazz singer. Okay. Maybe still is. 
um, I think she did it first mm-hmm. in 1980. Okay. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to a little bit of it, and it's surprisingly pretty similar yeah. to the version that Nicole Kidman sings. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was an original just cuz I had never heard it before. Yeah, the only original in this movie is Come What May. Yeah. And um we'll talk about it more later, but it was Oh right. in my opinion a national tragedy that it wasn't nominated for best original song. And at you the had Academy said that Awards. that was because it was it was written for Romeo plus Juliet. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah, and for Academy Awards, you the song has to be written specifically for, for the movie. movie. Right. And since they wrote it for Romeo and Juliet, regardless of the fact that they didn't use it, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't eligible. Tragic. Ridiculous. Tragic. <sighs> Um, okay, so then after her song, he sneaks back up to see her. And that's when we get Elephant Love Medley. Right. Mm. And this is kind of when he convinces her to have a relationship. She's very, She has still been reluctant up to this that's point. That's when they actually fall in love. She right. falls in love with the man that she Thought thinks is Christian. Yeah. Right. She's not um, feigning it for the Duke. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he finally convinces her that they can have this sort of secret relationship during... So Elephant Love Medley... Let me see. I thought I might have taken... Yeah, I, okay. So I wrote down all of the songs featured in Elephant Love Medley. Uh-huh. So I think this is an order. Mm-hmm. We have Love is Like Oxygen. Mm-hmm. And that's a, so- that's a song that he just recites. Yeah. Love is Like Oxygen. Love lifts us up. We, we belong. All you need is love. Um, so we have Love is Like Oct- Oxygen by Sweet, Love is a Mini Splendored Thing by The Four Aces, Up Where We Belong by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warnes, mm-hmm. Warnes, Warnes. Um, All You Need is Love by The Beatles, Lover's Game by Chris Isaac, I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss, One More Night by Phil Collins, Pride in the Name of Love by U2, uh, Don't Leave Me This Way, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Silly love songs, Paul McCartney and Wings. Yeah. And then um, it repeats Up Where We Belong by Joe Cocker, etc. Then we get Heroes, Heroes David yeah. Bowie. You know the next one? Well, for one day, you are with me. <laughs> I'll drink all the time. <laughs> oh, it's I Will Always Love You. By Dolly Parton. Yeah. Yep. And then we end with Going Back to Your Song by Elton John. Yeah. You, you will be mean. No, no I, I won't. won't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think you've done this a bunch of times. I've definitely been guilty of like co-opting um, the I the the music and putting on Elephant Love Medley. Um, my oh, yeah. my good good friend Samantha has definitely. So, uh, we, we've done an impromptu performance. I definitely v- remember doing... After a couple drinks. I definitely remember doing that yeah, in, my high, in my high school um, music room. Oh, I was an adult. Mm-hmm. Very much. And it, I don't think it was good, but you know what? It was fun, and our friends tolerated us. And you know what? That's, what, that's, that's a good friend. I'm sure we've done it as well, uh, very obnoxiously at a bar, too. And so this, the Elephant Love Medley ends, there's this, the, the moon is singing with them, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't remember his name, but he's a famous uh, opera singer. Yeah. The guy that does the moon. It's, and it's like, 
La Folle Isabelle which I don't oh, wow. did, was it you <laughs> it was me did you do that <laughs> it was like I was watching the movie that was amazing and then we kind of get this shot of it pans over to Toulouse like sitting on the roof in his makeup crying or something yeah yeah Toulouse looked like kind of kind of a tragic life you know, it's funny. He was born into a pretty wealthy aristocratic family, mm-hmm. and he was the firstborn son yeah. as well. Um, that being said, his parents were first cousins. Oh, yeah. And I, That'll do it. I think, yeah, I think there was kind of a long history of of that happening in especially, their family. Especially, yeah, if it was an aristocratic family, I'm sure. Well, you, right, it's not completely unheard of right um but he he had two separate injuries as a child i think at age 13 or maybe even younger he broke one leg and then the next year he broke his other leg and And because of a genetic like birth defect his legs never healed properly so he developed like a full adult torso but his legs stayed so child size so it wasn't even like it wasn't even some sort of dwarfism. It was no. It was completely to do with the fact that he he injured himself and wasn't able to heal, probably because of some sort of genetic or birth defect. By, I mean, you know, it's hard to say. Didn't didn't John Leguizamo develop like lifelong injuries from being yeah. on his knees the whole time for this? Movie? Yeah, John Leguizamo filmed the movie completely on his knees. Um, and that sounds gross. <laughs> okay, so John Leguizamo, <laughs> to to be the shorter Toulouse Lautrec. I've read that Toulouse Lautrec was anywhere between four six and five feet. Yeah. Um, to play the shorter Toulouse Lautrec, he did everything. Um, he just walked on his knees, and he wound up. I think he said. I read an interview with him in 2005, so four years later, mm-hmm. or five years after filming. He said that um, he it took a while to regain feeling wow. in his legs, and that he still had serious back pain. That's yeah from doing that. And I, I just wonder, imagine. like, was that truly necessary? Right, because there are camera tricks you can do to make a person look a lot shorter or taller. Sure. And some of them, I mean, they they did a, just a lot of um, kind of forced perspective tricks. I mean, they did a lot in Elf. Right. Oh, yeah. They just did a having, good job in just that. Just having people closer. Or Lord or, of the Rings. Right. Which was nominated up against Moulin Rouge uh-huh. uh, in award season. Yeah. Um, and but I don't, I don't know, know if it worked. I don't know if it worked in Lord of the Rings very well. I mean, it worked, but, like, it was just sort of jarring. Yeah. I mean, I think this seemed more believable, but, you know, at what cost? <laughs> I thought it seemed believable, too. But so, yeah, Toulouse Lautrec, because of um, the difficulties he faced physically, you know, he he obviously struggled a lot um, and in relationships. Of, and probably had a lot of physical pain that he was medic- self-medicating Right. He he got deep into alcoholism. He did frequent um, brothels mm-hmm. often so later might, so on. 
probably was syphilitic as well. Well, he did die of, uh, I think they concluded it was the combined effects of alcoholism and syphilis. Yeah. Um, funny enough, in 1899, when this movie takes place, he was committed. His family committed him oh. to a sanitarium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he came out three months later, and he actually did a lot of really important um, portraits Mm -hmm. when he was in the sanitarium, and he came out three months later. Um, I don't know if he ever really, like, fully recovered, though, and he died in 1901. Oh. Yeah, a couple years later at the age of 36. So it's not really clear what exactly why what the purpose of this shot is, you know, him crying on the roof or whatever. I think it's just to show that he, I mean, he is, he's a, he's a passionate man. Yeah. And I think he is lonely in love. Right. I think it's just showing, you know, Well, it's, I feel, because there's this kind of duality to it where it's like, he's kind of crying with happiness because he's finally found this, this person who's going to like help him realize his dream of this musical or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and also he's the, the view is, I think it's implied that he's like watching something he can't have, right? He's watching them fall in love. Yeah. And so that's, he's also sad about that. I think so too. Yeah. I think that's, I think you nailed the, uh, or I think you nailed it on the head. Yeah. So then they start, um, they start doing rehearsals and stuff. And this is when they run up to a balcony or something to like kiss, to make out. And Zidler sees them. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so Zidler knows, and so he tells. What is what does he tell Satine about it that, that they just can't see each other anymore or something? Pretty much. Yeah. So basically, the um, Zidler tells her that um, she has to meet with the Duke. Um, this this is when he finds out about them being in love. And she's like, yes, you're right. I need to go meet with the Duke. And so, but Christian thinks that she's going to come meet up with him. But she has uh, another attack. Mm-hmm. And so she doesn't show up for either. Mm-hmm. So Christian thinks that she stood him up. The Duke the thinks Duke's, she stood him up. And, that's, and so Zidler is trying to like, you know, gloss things over with the Duke, and that's when they sing like a virgin. Yes, this is my favorite. I think it. Oh, okay. Aside from "Come What May," uh-huh. which is just a tearjerker, um, "Like a Virgin" is my favorite song mm-hmm. in the entire movie. It is so funny. Uh-huh. The male dancers, uh, like the waiters, yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. Um, the Duke is super funny. Mm-hmm. And Jim Broadbent, can we can we just take a second what and a acknowledge yeah. how incredible of an actor Jim Broadbent is? Well, he won an Oscar the same year, right? For In the Bedroom? No, yeah, but not for this movie. No, he was I don't think he was nominated for this. Was it but... in the bedroom or was it Iris? Which one was he in? I thought it was. Because both the... of those were nominated that year. I think Judy Dench won for Iris and he won for In the Bedroom. He, I did write it down, because I, I really like looking at the the awards. Uh, he won for Iris. Oh. Nailed it. Maybe, maybe it wasn't in the bed. I don't know. In the Bedroom was a movie nominated that year. Okay. But Jim Broadbent was, was in, in Iris. Iris. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, so they're singing Like a Virgin, and they also... <laughs> it's so funny. And they actually, and I don't know if it... 
what other times it happens in this movie, but they're singing directly to camera. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're necessarily like doing a breaking of the fourth wall thing. No, it's they're they're singing to each other, and so it's basically you're getting the perspective of of the other each person. character. Yes, yeah, exactly. yeah. But it uh, and that makes it even funnier. Yeah, the way that they're singing <laughs> to, to each, each other. other. Right. Yeah, it's just um, I don't know. I really love the score for it too. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. I I think I like that more than the the song itself. Oh, better than Madonna's version. Yeah, yeah. I think I do. Sure. Yeah. Um. Oh, so after this happens, this is what it is. After this happens, he Zidler goes to check on Satine, who has had another episode, and the doctor tells Zidler while she's passed out that she's dying. That she's dying. Yeah. But he doesn't tell her. Right. Because why should she know what's happening to her body? Right. It's not important. She would become hysterical. <laughs> We'd have to commit her. We'd have to commit her, and it would be a thing. Let's just keep it under wraps. So because they have to, you know, they have this... Setine has to have this new commitment to making the Duke feel better mm-hmm. now because she had stood him up or whatever. Right. So this is when he has to kind of come along on all their dates and stuff. Well, and is this around the time that he says we're changing the play or does that come later? This com- that that comes after like at the end of Come What May, I believe. So this comes Yes, this comes direct that comes directly after Come What May because they so Come What May is included this montage of them going around with the duke like you That's were talking right, about. That's right. Yeah. And then they go into the actual rehearsals. Right. And and so they're like, we need to have a, in order to make Christian feel better about the time she's spending with the Duke, they agree to have this secret song thing. Right. And that's when they sing Come What May. And then the secret song becomes a plot of the play itself. Right. The secret song is going to be between the penniless sitar player and right. the courtesan. Right. Um, and... And then he, I think while they're singing this during rehearsals is when fucking Nini. Nini. Okay. So. And she's like, why would she choose the penniless writer? Oops. I mean sitar player. I know. She's the worst. And so that, so they do this beautiful rendition of Come What May. And he. And, and he, he hates it and he I shuts don't like, it down. I don't like this ending. Okay. But let me just. <laughs> Nini is one of the other characters that I have a huge problem with in this film. All she does is be a villain for no reason. Right. I mean, the best we can assume is jealousy, rival, yeah, right. rival dancer. Right, but they never really explain. They never explain. That. Yeah, I mean, as far as we know, she doesn't have ambitions she's to become a, an actress. She's just like, a shit stirrer. She's just kind of a bee. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it, and it's so, just it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. I want to say, I'm not crazy about the stage production of this movie. Uh-huh. Um, not that I've seen it, but I've read enough. Yeah. And that's one thing they changed that I really like. They made Nini more of a supportive character. Right. I think in the stage one, they actually have Nini warn Satine oh. that the Duke is catching on, rather than have Nini Me tell, w- tell the, the Duke th- right. what's going on. Right. I think that was a good change. Because it makes more sense that he would 
figure it out on its own. <laughs> I mean, it it's does. pretty obvious. It does. And it, it's just, it makes more sense that a person, if we're not going to get a backstory on her, it makes more sense that she would just be a normal human being rather than, and tell her friend. Rather than be relentlessly bitchy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that was a good move for the Broadway so when he, So the Duke is saying that he wants to uh, change the ending and... Christian. Right, because it doesn't make any sense. Right. Why would she go for a penniless sitar player instead of a life of And that's when Christian comfort. says, because she doesn't love you. I mean him. Yeah. <laughs> he's so, he's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Was he, was he drunk in that scene? I don't think he was, but, it, you know, I think they do highlight a lot of, um, how absinthe. Right. Negatively influenced some of the situations. Oh, you think Christian was drunk? I was just asking. I oh, can't, I don't know. I can't I would, really remember. I, would, I don't think he was. I, I think, think he just so. sort of lost his cool. Yeah, I think. But that, later on, he does get drunk and definitely loses his cool. Oh, like, yeah. Much more. But yeah, yeah I, th- I, th- I think you're right on this scene. He just loses it. And then th- this is when it, like, it just continues to escalate where... The more things happen with the Duke that send, send th- sends things off the rails, the more Satine has to make up for Cover it. Cover up things, Make up for yeah. it with the Duke, which and is why she, she, after this outburst, she goes up to the Duke and she's like, how about we have dinner tonight? Like, Right. And Christian's already upset, so he's like, oh, now she's going to have dinner with him? And, and I think that's when we go into, correct me if I'm wrong, but Roxanne? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We go into this very sensual, aggressive tango, I guess, as they all should be. And, it's, and it even begins with Nini being a... Nini being the worst again. And yeah, then she goes and antagonizes Christian. Well, she like throws herself on the Argentinian. Yeah. And then he he pushes her away, like, or he tries to tell her to, you know, bug off like twice, I think. And then he finally pushes her off of him and then she freaks out, like, How dare you touch me? Ugh. Like, ugh. Yeah. She's uh, such well, a poster. He'll get his end. What is it? In. <laughs> I mean, ending. Like, she, yeah, she makes a lot of bad jokes. Right. It's just, she's frustrating. But then she did becomes Did you say the, earlier she has crunchy bangs? I did say that at some point. She does have crunchy bangs. She has, she has gelled, gelled. It's not cool to make fun of people for their appearance, but she does have These crunchy in, bangs. intentionally gelled <laughs> Um, bang strings. <laughs> or just like crazy. Anyways, uh, they do the very central Roxanne tango. And mm-hmm. while that's going on, we watch Christian walking the streets, right. uh, just being sad. And then he comes across uh, the the apartment or whatever it is mm-hmm. where the Duke and Satine are. And they're standing on the balcony and he sees them. He sees them. And they and Satine sees him, and doesn't she sing a little bit of "Come What May"? I think she does. And that's yeah. when the Duke flips flips out. out yeah. And okay, oh yeah. So before, uh, or just during all of that, so the Duke has given Satine this beautiful diamond necklace. Oh yeah, insanely gorgeous. Get this, most expensive piece of jewelry ever made. For a film. 
That's crazy. Now, granted, this movie came out almost 20 years ago. Oh, wow. Shit. <laughs> 20 years ago. It came out in 2001. It's exactly 20 years ago. God. Oh, um, it came out 20 <laughs> years ago. So that could have changed since then. But at the time, at the time it was most expensive piece of jewelry ever made for a film. It cost three million dollars. And they actually used a, a, a quote unquote stunt double for the scene where he rips it off of her. It had to be like a qualified hand to do it. No, 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 no. It was Nicole Kidman who received a stunt double. Oh. It wasn't her neck. When they broke it off. Wow. And I don't really understand, like, why did it have to be... I guess they didn't want to hurt her neck, maybe. Maybe, yeah. But that suggests they were actually breaking it, and I refuse to believe they actually broke it. No, I'm sure there was... Yeah. So I don't I don't really know why they well, yeah, did I don't that. Know what, but... I don't know what the motivation... like. On film, why you wouldn't just use costume jewelry for that? Yeah, but. in what sense does a cubic zirconia not work? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I can't tell film. the difference. Right, I, yeah. Maybe the, the can reviewers can. The so, can reviewers can. So, <laughs> so, this sets, so this sets off the Duke, and he uh, rips the necklace off, and it seems like he's about to rape he's her. He's definitely about to rape her. He throws her on the bed, uh-huh. and she looks terrified, and then Chocolat. once again, Chocolat shows up. How did he How did he know? We have no idea how he knew. Because isn't this the Duke's house? How did How did he's, he end up? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> how did Chocolat end up at the again, Duke's house? Again, it's like, could you not have just, like, given us a little bit more about Chocolat? Right. Like, ex- does he have to be just the dude that saves the day? Right. Yeah. That's a bummer, but all that being said, I still enjoy the movie very much. I just wish they'd done better with him. Yeah. Uh, but he saves the day. He he carries her home. And I think, um, is it short? I mean, it's shortly after that that she decides, I'm done. Um. Okay, so what happens is um, the Duke decides that he's going to kill Christian. Right, he's gonna send Warner, his 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 man. <laughs> right, um, and this is when Satine. Oh, is this, oh, the the this is when Zidler finally tells, because she's like, we're gonna run away. Yeah, they decide. Yeah, she decides she's done. We're gonna escape. We're gonna, I don't right. care about the show anymore. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the Moulin Rouge. So basically, she goes back to get her things and is going to tell Zidler that she's leaving. And this is when he tells her that she's that dying. That she's dying. And that if they don't do the show the way the Duke wants it, and if she doesn't go home with him that night, he will kill Christian. He will Christian. Kill, kill Christian. So she's essentially doing the Harry and the Hendersons thing. Yeah, and she... Push him she away to save him. Tells him it's over. Right. So when she's leaving... When she's leaving to go tell Christian that it's over is when the show must go on. Right. Happens. I really love the outfit she's wearing in that song, by the way. The, like, suit dress uh-huh. with the little top hat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, is it, is it, is that the one with the, is it she wearing, like, when does she wear the white beret? Oh, I don't know. No, she I think it's, I think it's a little, I think it's a top, I think it's a top hat. I think all of... All of the costuming is very well done. Yeah. Um, they did win that award at the at the Oscars, by yeah. the way, for best costuming or best costume design. I think that I they did 
a particularly good job with the clothes that she's wearing just as her regular self. Mm -hmm. It's not the clothes that you pay the most attention to, but they're all just as beautiful. Yeah. Just as gorgeous. And I mean, it could well have just been a corsets and It stuff. could have just been like a regular suit, but it like the way that it fastened was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it the gray one? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. At some point she wears an all white one and it's just. And um, so the show must go on, which is kind of Zidler's big song. But there's also this. Right. There's also um, this beautiful, like, background singer, like the seamstresses when they're. Yeah. When they're singing along. Almost like a group of singing nuns. Right. But not. Close. Opposite. They're prostitutes. Right. Who so? (laughs) (laughs) But they sound just as lovely and the. Yeah. So she tells. So she goes and she tells Christian that it's over. Right. We, we, we have to end it. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't handle it. No. So so she leaves and... Um, and he knows. He knows that she's lying. I mean, he has to. But maybe he doesn't because he's really mad. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, he loses it because he can't believe it. Right. Yeah. So now it's the night of the show. It's the day of the show, y'all. <laughs> And uh, so they're putting on the production, and Christian has some sort of plan, it seems like. He gets a bunch of money together to go disrupt the performance. Yeah. Yeah, he sneaks backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, the and narcoleptic Argentinian has had a fit of narcolepsy, mm-hmm. so he's out, so he steals his jacket. Right. Assume, I guess just to like make himself blend in more with the actors who are in costume yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the Duke has has informed his manservant, Warner, <laughs> to shoot Christian on sight, basically. Right. Um, so he manages to uh, find Satine backstage, and they're having this... Really intense moment. Really intense moment. Um like, he's definitely messed up at this point. He's right. got to be drunk. Right. He's he's messed up in the head. He's Can probably drunk. Can I just say, Ewan McGregor does a good, like, messed up. Uh-huh. If we look at Chainspotting, Moulin Rouge. Well, he's a great actor. He is such a good... Yeah, you're right. It's not just that he can do, like, you know, messed up. Right. But um, I just... Yeah, I'm really impressed with him all the time. Yeah. Um, and so they're having this intense moment. He's like kind of shaking her. He has her by the shoulders, right? Yeah, it's intense. It's really intense. Which is like and a little violent. <laughs> poor yeah. Satine, all these man manhandling. I her. mean, probably poor all of the women that right. actually existed es- in that situation. But especially Saltine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. So they're but they happen to be standing at this door where this entrance is supposed to happen. And so this, And then the curtain the curtain, breaks, o- the curtain yeah. opens and they're on stage. Oops. And Zidler saves the show really quickly. Right. And says, Oh, he thought but he, he, thought could, he could fool us. But we I know can it's tell. the same penniless sit up. He's you know, with a shaved beard. Right. Um and the audience just laughs like ha and, and Christian That's so clever. And Christian pushes her to the ground. Yeah. No, he's mad. And very drunk. Probably drunk. 
He's drunk. But he had, he had, I guess this was his plan because he happens to have all of this money. Right. He throws it at her. And says, uh, I've paid my whore. Well, she did tell him that it was all pretend. Yeah. When she did her Harry and the Hendersons thing. Right. She said, it wasn't real. I never loved you. Right. This is my job, Christian, yeah. is to make men fall in love with me. Right. Um. So, I mean... I'm not saying what he did was right, but mm-hmm. his reaction is understandable. Sure. Yeah. Um, so he pushes her to the ground. He throws some money at her. He, he, he says, uh, he calls back the, his father's line and says, oh, thank you for yeah. curing me of my ridiculous obsession ridiculous with love. Ridiculous obsession with love. <laughs> um, and she's like sobbing on the ground and he... Starts to walk away through the audience, and, and then, then and then and I just then, got goosebumps. I know. And then she she's still on the ground, and she's watching him, and she lets out this very quiet. Never knew. Yeah, and she starts singing this song, and he stops in his tracks, and and I have to tell you, this is my this is my favorite moment of the whole movie. I would say it's mine too. Um, and just the way. So he stops when he hears her, and the way that her voice is like so powerful in this moment when she's a really good singer. When she comes back, when she stands up and says, "Come back to me and forgive everything." Yes, ah, and like it takes and like and her me too, and her acting is so good because like it's obvious like singing that moment. It takes it out of her. Uh huh. She has to catch her yeah, breath she, after she that. Yeah, she falls a little bit again. Yeah. Be- because she's singing so powerfully. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. What a blessing. And so he starts, she, he lets her sing a little bit and he starts singing with her and rushes back to the stage. And then the whole, then it becomes the finale of. Right. And Warner is still on the move. Right. He's gonna get Christian, but then to lose Latrec. Um, drops a sandbag, I think, onto his head to knock him out. Because, you know, the sandbags, I guess, right. were used for, for the... waiting curtains yeah, or whatever. exactly. Or, or waiting prop pieces or whatever. Right, yeah. And so he... So he drops the sandbag on Warner and the gun flies out into the audience. Right? I think if... Yes, it does fly into the audience and there's chaos for a minute. And then the Duke sees... They're, all this time they're singing... The Duke come. grabs the gun. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So all this time they're singing Come What May. And the Duke sees the gun that Warner dropped and goes to get it for himself. And then what happens? Someone tackles him. And you know what? It might be shock a lot. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, someone tackles him. Who is it? I don't remember who... I can't believe neither of us like wrote that down because I can't remember either, and I've seen it because five thousand times. The Duke comes rushing back to the stage with the gun. Yeah, it might Someone be. Hits it him might in be. The Z- face. It was Zidler. Hits him in the face. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's Zidler. It's I think. not a tackle. He just punches him out. I and think. He, and the gun goes flying. And, and it bounces off the Eiffel Tower right. and flies over the moon. And that's something we haven't talked about are these little moments with the, with the See, skyline. See, I love that stuff. This kind of surrealist moments where it's like the gun binks off the... <laughs> right, and those scenes, they look more like paintings yeah. than they do a movie. Right. I mean, you could take a shot, uh, you know, from any moment in those scenes and it would look beautiful on your yeah. walls. And you know what? I might do that. 
because a, a similar thing happens um, during the Moulin Rouge scene. When they when all the old men throw smells the smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah, the, yeah, the they old flow men. their hats. Yeah, and yeah, you see them fly up above the. I think I just said they flow their hats. They yeah, fly they their throw hats. Throw them. <laughs> they throw them and they fly them. Uh huh. And this production is like very Bollywood, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which is intentional because I, I think in the same it might have been the same quote that I saw um, Baz's description of like wanting it to be like a music video or whatever. He was also talking about how he was inspired by an, exper- an experience that he had with Bollywood. Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah. Cool. I was wondering where that came from. And he was t- he was talking about, like, they had, like, seen this production or something that was, like, high farce and then tragedy. And it was just, like, all of these different things mixed up into... One, but you know that's another thing about the stage musical that they changed. They took out, I think, all of the Indian um, aspects to the movie, which is understandable. I get it, yeah, because if you're having like a bunch of white actors, yeah, right, and it's it's a different non-Indian actor, and and if you don't really have a lot of familiarity familiarity with it, then you should probably not. And like you can, yeah, you can take inspiration from that kind of production without, you know, appropriating it. Which I guess we we can go in and say they definitely appropriated. Yeah, yeah, misappropriated. Absolutely, Indian culture. And that's what um, I'm saying is like you can you can it have was really pretty. <laughs> you can have that. You can have the same sort of feeling of like of those disparate elements without actually trying to have like a full bollywood production exactly. with zero indian actors right yeah and Nini, that's something they Nini did doing like and the it's Nini. Pr- Nini doing yeah. the prayer pose or whatever I, the choreography is so cool like yeah. if they could have just been yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah okay maybe i give this movie an a minus now <laughs> Yeah, you know. You know, after we talk through these films, my opinions change a little bit. <laughs> and I have... you, you bring up good points, you do. And I had in my I had in my notes I didn't think I'd cry just cuz, you know, seen it it's so many times. It's the 35th time I've right. watched it. And I did. I cry every time. But I didn't necessarily cry when she died. I'm I cried. No, I cry during the the sentimental moments. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um cuz you know she's going to die. Right. And so at the end of the song She's about to die. She yeah, she more or less collapses and that's it. And she says, "Tell a story." Yeah. And so that's when we get to the and intro. That, that's what and he's that's trying what to he do. Did. Yeah. yeah. He also does and I don't know who knows if this is intentional or not, but a very similar thing happens in Romeo plus Juliet at the end when Claire Danes realizes that uh, so when Ju- oh gosh, when the Ju- way she cries! Yeah, when Juliet realizes that uh, Romeo is dead, <gasps> yeah, and lets out this guttural, <laughs> and <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Listen, but he does the Claire same. Claire Danes, God bless her. Girl can cry. Yes, she can. <laughs> she she's got better than her her you know guttural wailing is is that chin movement. Oh yeah, that she does the dimply chin. Uh huh. Yeah. But but you McGregor Christian does, yeah he, he does, does a the similar same thing. thing because it's both of them are like 
It's, it's silence in the movie. It evokes and, a lot of emotion from me, though, yeah. when they do that, because that's how real people cry. Yeah. Like, if you're truly gutted and grieving, like, that's how you sound. And both of those moments don't have any soundtrack. It's There's just... no pretty tears yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. They do a good job, and, and yeah, it's... Whew. It's an emotional ringer, especially in a year like we've had. Oh, God. I mean, everything is, um, Things it are a hits bit, you a little bit harder. Everything's a little heightened. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So if anyone needs a really good cry right now, I highly recommend Moulin Rouge. You've probably already seen it if you're listening to this. Yeah. But if you haven't, go watch it. If you have, still go watch it again. Yeah. Oh, if you want... Okay, I think my, my most cathartic cry of um, since lockdown began was definitely Little Women 94. Yeah, that's a good one. Another movie where coughing leads to death, although not by consumption. No, it's um, fever. Scarlet fever? I think... I think that I think she gets scarlet fever. Yeah, I think fever, it's scarlet and then, fever. Like, her heart never heals. It weakens her heart forever. Um, yeah. My you'll, biggest. You'll cry, find her. You'll find her much altered. What was <laughs> my biggest cry during the pandemic? I don't know. I, I, every day. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> so basically, so, the movie ends. The movie ends. So let's talk about. Um, should we do recasting? I don't actually have recasts other than obviously Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. Uh huh. <laughs> they can be the new leads. Okay, so I, I, I don't have... think we need recasting though. I swear, I think Nicole Kidman and could Ewan McGregor they could do it today. So I had a few. Um, I feel like a kind of what someone might consider the obvious choice would probably be like Emma Stone. Mm. You know, does she sing? Take it or leave it. But yeah, she sang La La Land. Yeah. Obviously, I don't think that she sings as well as Nicole Kidman. I don't think so either. Um, she she's she's a lovely girl. What about woman? What about Beyonce? Oh my God! Right. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> she could do anything. So. Right. Beyonce. <laughs> I never I, thought about that, but okay, okay, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not mad at that. Um. Of course, Zendaya. Um. <laughs> I said Jennifer Hudson again, but I don't know if she has, she's such a good singer, but I don't know if she has the, like, charisma as an actress to pull it off. I know what you mean. I haven't seen her as just a straight-up actress in a lot of roles other than Sex and the City. And she did not have a lot to work with. She didn't. It, It wasn't great. Also, did you see that they're fully rebooting? Oh, yeah. Sex in the City. Oh, my gosh. Anyways. I mean, so... Anyways. I, I mean, I'm fine. I will I'm, I will probably see it. I kind of, you know... I'm, oh, yeah, because we have nothing else to do. Right. I mean, I am I feel like in the feud, I'm Team Cattrall. Oh. Just based on, like, interviews that she's that she's given... I just also really appreciate the way Kim Cattrall spoke up when her, I think her brother died, and then um, Sarah Jessica Parker sent out, like, a really nice tweet saying, like, I'm so sorry, you know, you're my friend forever or something, and she said, I want to be clear, we are not friends. 
<laughs> I mean, she's kind of uh, iconic in that way. She she was obviously going through a thing. Uh-huh. A very close loved family member died. Uh, she may have been reacting in the moment, but there's a part of me that's just like, good for you, you bad bitch. Right, and then like, and I feel like it, it's it's one of those things where I feel like SJP does the does these very uh, performative. Like, you think uh, it's calculated? Well, yeah, and like she's always like, "No, we were fine." Blah blah blah. But let's bear in mind, she's not Samantha, or she's not uh, Carrie. She's not Carrie. Right. She is a real person. Carrie right. is calculated. Right. And okay, we're getting way too deep into but, sex in this. Uh, sure, but I mean, like, if if your if your family member died, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Tweet you wouldn't tweet it. at me. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. obviously done for... In fact, I did have a family member die, and you did not tweet at me. I, I appreciate it, yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, okay. So, so for Christian, I had, of course, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> um, Eddie Redmayne. Oh, good one. And reprising his role from Broadway, Aaron Tveit. Yeah, I really love... I loved Tveit a mm-hmm. lot. I loved him in Les Mis. Yeah. Um, I even loved him in that that live TV version of Grease. Oh, was he in that? Yeah, he was Danny. Oh, well, he's dreamy. He's he's pretty dreamy. And also in Les Mis, it's like it's hard to not make the role of Enjolras sexy. It's like an inherently he's sexy kind of character. A, he's a little bit of a show stealer. Yeah. A little bit. That I mean, that role is a show stealer. Yeah. And the way that he dies, oh. I mean, spoiler alert, but you should know this by now. The way that he dies, like, it's such an epic scene. Do you know how, how it how it went in the Broadway show? No. I, I still haven't seen it on Broadway, and oh, it's God. one of my biggest hangouts. Well, and this is, I don't think they do the rotating stage anymore, but when they had, like, in the first you know, in the, in the first incarnation on Broadway before they did the uh, 25th anniversary version, there was a rotating stage and Androlris dies on the barricade. And you know how the, there's like an instrumental version of Bring Him Home mm-hmm. showing all the dead people. Mm-hmm. And when it reaches the swell, the stage rotates and you, oh, no. and you see him. And it shows him like hanging up. Hanging, hanging backwards Ugh. on the flag. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I got goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so for Zidler, I said Tom Hanks. Oh, that's that's smart. I yeah. like that. And Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman? See, I, I just I can't imagine him being. I was that trying to. Animated. I was just trying to think of like older, older like character actors. I guess he's not really a character actor. No. Tom Hanks would be good. No, I could see Tom Hanks. Um, and for the Duke, I just said Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I feel like he could do it very well. Jake Gyllenhaal could be Christian. Right. In fact, Jake Gyllenhaal auditioned for Christian. Right. As did Heath Ledger mm-hmm. and Leonardo DiCaprio. Did so, Heath Ledger sing, I wonder? I think Heath Ledger may have gotten the furthest of the three of them because I read interviews with Baz where he was talking about um, how Heath just did so well on camera with Nicole, oh. which means they, they made it to the screen test right. portion of yeah. the auditions. I guess he sang in 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> I don't 
hoping that was his voice. But that is such a cute, cute scene. Oh my gosh, I love that movie. Um, um, so and he's so cute in it. But uh, no, so with Jake Gyllenhaal, though, I just want to say. Uh, Baz Luhrmann said, like, he, this man has to be in a musical yeah. at some point. And I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it's a crime that Jake Gyllenhaal hasn't been in one yet. Right. Because he, he, has, said that, he, he has a Broadway quality yeah, voice. He came in and sang Sondheim yeah. for Baz Luhrmann. And he said it was incredible. He was just too young. Yeah. And that's what he said about Heath as well. Right. That Heath was too young. And then um, with Leo, he just wasn't a good singer. Yeah. For his audition, he sang Lean on Me, and <laughs> he really struggled with it. And of course Yeah, so did. they said, uh-uh. And I'm sorry, if you can't do Lean on Me, then right. no. No, not <laughs> happening. Just really quickly, the, the actresses that auditioned for Satine include Catherine Zeta-Jones, mm-hmm. who wound up doing Chicago, and I think she won... Yeah, she won the Oscar next for that. year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Renee Zellweger. Yeah. And here's the one that I think would have worked Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't know how she sings. She, I think that she's known to be a good singer. But it, yeah, assuming she can sing, yeah. I could definitely see Kate Winslet doing it. They feature and, a tiny snippet of her singing in Titanic. When, oh, do they? When she, when they're at, it's like during the church service. I've never seen it. Yeah. I'm kidding. I have, obviously. You're, it's that Titanic. Would be, that would be very strange. Um. Yeah. Uh. But he basically just said that no one impressed him the way that Nicole Kidman did, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, so go ahead. Okay, so I don't want to, like really get into all of these notes that I have, but just a little bit of the history of, you know, what was going on in Paris at the time. Or in Montmartre. Right. I mean, the area is called uh, Montmartre. (laughs) Montmartre. Which is just like basically a neighborhood in Paris, Mm -hmm. um, which is like located up on this hill or whatever. But they... Uh, this period of time um, between 1880 and 1914, it basically ended with World War One, um, was called La Belle Époque, um, and it was just, uh, you know, it was a flourishing time for artists in this area, um, and there were two kind of kinds of like schools of thought or um, what they called artists artist associations. Mm-hmm. Um, that were like, there were two groups and then there were also like individual artists, but one of the groups was Les Nabi, mm-hmm. um, and they were more interested in a transition from Impressionism, kind of, uh, branching off from Im- um, Impressionism and academic art into abstract and, uh, as- abstract art and symbolism. Okay. Um, it was the early movements of modernism. So then Toulouse-Lautrec would have been part of the other one. He wasn't part of either of them. Oh, he was his own. Yeah. So these people, um, they shared a, com- a common a- uh, admiration for Gauguin and Cezanne. Okay. Um, so what was the and they other wanted, group? They wanted to determine and renew, uh, they wanted to renew the art of painting. Um, the other one was the more like... Um, avant-garde group called Les Anco. Oh, okay. So we had avant-garde and modernism. Yeah, basically. Okay. Uh, this one is called Les Anco... 
incoherence, but it's spelled like incoherence. Okay, yeah. Um, which was a short-lived French art movement founded by Jules Lévy. Um, and it was, uh, it had a lot of satirical irreverence um, and anticipated many of the art techniques and attitudes that were later associated with avant-garde and anti-art movements. Okay. One of the f- most famous Ugh, ones. I don't like the anti-art. Uh, but one of the most famous ones is like a, f- um, it's like a famous painting of the Virgin Mary, but she's smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Um, There's also a famous shot of Rooney Mara <laughs> and Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> filming this movie about Jesus. I can't remember what it's called. It might be called Mary Magdalene. Uh-huh. Um, she played Mary Magdalene. But it's like one of my favorite pictures of all time because it's like Joaquin Phoenix up on the cross and she's standing next to him and they're both smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard every time I see it. Anyways, um, not to sidetrack, but I do want to ask, so does that mean that Toulouse-Lautrec, because, um, you know, he's one of the most famous post Impressionist, right? So does that mean that he sort of he just really, did his own thing? Yeah, he didn't really follow fall into either of those categories. So there were also individuals who were there at the time, um, and those included a lot more of the well-known names, mm-hmm. um, which were Van Gogh, Brissot, um, who, uh, let's see, Jacques Vion, Matisse, um, Toulouse-Lautrec. Um, and then it also ended up being a safe haven for, um, like, American expatriate African-Americans. Oh, cool. Uh, like Langston Hughes. He worked um, and drew some inspiration Maybe from the area. Maybe that's shock a lot. Who knows? Right. Um, <laughs> um, I will say, too, um, something notable about Toulouse-Lautrec was he was not unknown in his lifetime. Yeah. I mean, he was successful uh-huh. as a painter. Um, so at least he had that going for him. And he was, was he the only one who like did specifically draw inspiration from the Moulin Rouge itself? Well, he, he was the one that did the advertisements for them when they were first opening up, um, 10 years earlier than the movie is set in 1870, no, 89? It would have, if it was 10 years earlier, it would have been 1890. No, it's 1899, so it would have been 89. Yeah. I think I think it was 89 when it opened. I could be wrong. It could be 79, but that wouldn't fit the timeline. Yeah. So I think it's 89, and he did he did do the, the advertisements yeah. for the Moulin Rouge. And, um, With the Can-Can Girls. I mean, they're iconic paintings. Yeah, yeah. And I got to say, um, I was obsessed with that kind of stuff in high school. And, oh, and yeah. one of my favorite... It became kind of like, after that, it became kind of like basic tj maxx art well yeah because okay listen i had an art teacher who for some reason like didn't want us to make our own stuff like she kept assigning us works where or assigning us projects where we had to recreate another artist's work i guess she was trying to get technique instilled in us i know i'm i'm frustrated about it to this day but I did a couple in the style of uh, Toulouse-Lautrec. Okay. Um, mostly because of Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I was just obsessed with it. And then my grandmother, she gave me a couple um, prints of yeah. the Toulouse-Lautrec advertisements. And yeah, it was just a big part of my yeah. my growing up. Um, yeah. And to this day, post-impressionism is my favorite. Yeah. 
Um, so another interesting thing about so this, it did go a little bit later than um, than World War One, but people tend to mark the ending of this sort of idealist movement. Not, not really ideal. I mean. Uh, you know, kind the of summer of love, right? You know, this kind of euphoric feeling. I mean, it was ended by World War One. Oh, there goes the classic train. There's the train. The classic train. So, uh, so it, it did continue a little bit after that, and there were other, uh, as, you know, Langston Hughes, as well as um, a little bit later, Josephine Baker, mm. um, was uh, a big part of the scene. There was a, a, a gathering place called R twenty six. Um, which was an artistic salon. Okay. Um, but it was frequented by Josephine Baker and Django Reinhardt. Um, but Django Reinhardt actually um, wrote a song um, about that club, the R26. Um, but it was called Al Vancis, hmm. which is R26. Oh. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> What, what I was going to say was um, they touched on this kind of later um, renaissance of this area with Josephine Baker in Lovecraft Country. Oh, that's right. When she goes. That's to, right. When she goes to Paris and like feels what it's like to like live in sort of like a free My or favorite episode. That was the. I really loved that episode. Hippolyta. God, it was so good. She's so cool. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like she lived like all these like whole lifetimes in like a blink of an yeah. eye. Yeah, you know? became this badass warrior. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh man, that show is good. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that's I mean that's basically I mean that's basically all yeah. I have on that. But yeah, we could talk about all of the things that connect to this movie for hours and hours and hours, yeah. but. It's already been close to two, so we better wrap it up. <laughs> um, I, I do want to say that for our next episode, we we want to do a poll mm-hmm. and figure out, you know, what does our audience want to hear if there is an audience. Right. If you're listening to this right now, you if you've get made to have, it this far. Yeah, you get to have a contribution. <laughs> so we're going to set something up on our Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's at the Hills Are Alive pod. Yeah. And I think we're going to do an Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, we want poll? we want to do um we wanted to do a polarizing Andrew Lloyd Webber movie next. So we're going to do either Cats <laughs> or um Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And so we will set that up on our Instagram. Um we may link to a to another the same poll. Yeah, but. we'll probably have it we'll have have it set up on our website yeah. as well. But we'll um, do it we'll do an Insta poll at least once or twice and then we'll have it set up on our website if you miss it. Mm-hmm. And um it's not scientific, so vote as many times as you want to. Yeah. If you really are passionate about one of the two, uh-huh. then yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably wind up doing both eventually, yeah. but help us pick which one is going to be Yeah, next. I mean, I need help picking one because I'm not a huge Andrew Lloyd Webber fan to begin with, so help, I, help me. Yeah, I can't say that I am either, but I know which one I want to do. I'm not going to say it, I but I know which one I, which one I, one I want, want to do. do for this as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... And don't worry, we will, do, we will be doing Evita. That one is... 
Yeah. On the table for sure. Yeah. Alex isn't going to let us get away without doing a Vita. I love it. So again, that's... It's like um, my... That's my one Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. <laughs> you you get one. You get one. <laughs> okay. So again, it's um at the Hills, Hills Are Alive pod. pod. And uh, we'll be setting that up immediately. Yeah. So by the time you're the listening time you're to listening, this, it's there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so thank you, friends, for listening. Yes. And um, I can't wait to do this again. Yeah, it was great uh, chatting with you, Kelsey, for these past couple of hours. I love Moulin Rouge, and I love you. Aw, I love you (laughs) and Moulin Rouge. All right. So y'all be safe out there. See you later. Bye. Bye. So long. Again. Damn it.